In Jesus' name, amen. You are fuming. It's taken you a long time to get to this point, but you can't hold it in any longer. You're just plain angry. Which is kind of a problem, because the person that you're angry at is actually your boss, and uh, it's never a good idea to be mad at your boss. And, And truth be told, your boss is actually a really hard person to be mad at. He's one of these really nice people that that everyone gets along with. You know, some bosses, they're they're always talking and giving advice that no one else is asking for. But your boss, you could listen to him talk all day. He's someone that you just love to be around, but not, not now. You most definitely do not want to be around him now because you're angry. And you know that you probably have no right to be angry. You don't deserve to have this anger inside of you. After all, you are just one employee out of a hundred in his office, and he has offices, a hundred around the world. You know that you are a very small fish in a very large pond, and you don't deserve to be angry, but you can't help it. You see, you're angry because your boss has been wasting his time again. You can't bear to watch him do it any longer. He's been spending all of his time on this one employee, this this one guy in your office named Carl. And Carl, you are office mates with Carl. You actually think you know him pretty well. He's a nice enough guy, but Carl should have been fired a long time ago. And the reason Carl should have been fired is numerous, but it, it all started about six months ago when he simply didn't show up for work one day. On a day when you had some of the biggest clients coming into the office and Carl was supposed to give a really big presentation. He just didn't show up. No call, no no show. And he should have been fired on the spot. But your boss, what he does is he actually leaves the office and the clients. He goes to Carl's house. He knocks on the door, asks asks how he's doing, and then drives Carl back to the office so that he can give the presentation in, in time. And then there are the reports that are habitually late. He just doesn't do his work. And and your boss takes time out of his day, spends late evenings and long nights working with Carl to get these reports done and to make sure that he gets them in on time and that they're all filled out right. And it just doesn't make sense to you. And lately it's gotten worse. Carl hasn't been into work for, for two weeks now. And there are rumors that there are tickets and arrests that, that Carl's gotten himself in some really big trouble. And then there are the rumors that that your boss has taken days out of his week to go to court with Carl, that he's covered the costs of Carl's legal bills to get him the best lawyer that he can have. And, and this is when you reach your breaking point. You think to yourself, why is our boss wasting all this time on one guy, one lazy, no-good guy, when there are 99 others in the office who are working overtime to get things done? And so you go to your boss's office, you're ready to let him have it, and you finally blurt it out, why are you wasting all this time on Carl? Your boss is a a patient man, so he pauses for a second. Finally, he says, because Carl needs it. He says, I care for all of you like you were my family in this office, and and I do the same for you, but right now, Carl needs it. But you're still fuming. The Pharisees, in our gospel reading for today, they were fuming. They were angry at Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. And and the reason that the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, were all worked up is because Jesus had the nerve to welcome in and to eat with tax collectors and sinners, the people whom these Pharisees had decided weren't worth it. 
they had drawn their boundaries, and, and these tax collectors and these sinners were on the outside. They weren't worthy of Jesus' time. And for Jesus to eat with tax collectors today, the modern equivalent of Jesus eating with a tax collector would be like if Jesus ate with the scam artists, you know, the telemarketers who prey on, on the elderly and, and the weak and, and steal from them. It would be like eating with the corporate bigwigs who, who prey on in the, the weak and the poor in order to pad their own pockets, who, who pay minimum wage but collect the million-dollar checks. It would be like Jesus eating with abusers of all strikes, of stripes, of, of eating with terrorists. You know, th- those people who are only in it for themselves, who take advantage of the least and the lost in order to, to build themselves up. Those are the kinds of people that Jesus was eating with, the tax collectors. And he was also eating with the sinners. And the modern-day example of, of Jesus eating with sinners, then and now, it would probably be the same. It would be the poor, the weak, the, the hungry, the, the blind, the deaf. You know, those people whose life situations or whose disabilities had to reveal that they had committed some atrocious sin for God to punish them like this. That was the thinking in that day. Here's Jesus eating with the lowest of the low, Jesus eating with those people whose who society hated and, and disregarded because of how they treated the people around them, and, and the Pharisees are angry about it. So in order to explain why he's doing this, in order to, to teach them an important lesson, Jesus decides to tell a story, a parable. The story goes like this. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, look, imagine you have a hundred sheep. Imagine you're their shepherd. And And suppose just one of your hundred sheep wanders away and and gets lost. What would you do? Well, of course, the only obvious answer is that you would have to leave the 99 behind to go look for that one lost sheep because even one sheep is important. Even one sheep matters. For even one sheep, you would leave the 99. You would go and and you would search and you would look for as long as it took throughout the night through the cold and the wind and, and the snow until you found that one sheep. And when you found even that one sheep, you would place it on your shoulders like it was your own child and you'd carry it all the way home to make sure that it got where you wanted it to be. And and when you got there, even for that one sheep, you would rejoice. You'd throw a party with your friends. You would celebrate even one lost sheep. See, even one sheep matters. What Jesus is trying to teach them is that even one person matters. No matter who that person is, no matter what that person has done, no matter what sin they've committed, no matter what society thinks about them, even one person matters. And Jesus always has room for one more. So I suppose the question for us today is, do we? Do we have room for one more, no matter who that person is, no matter what they've done, no matter what they look like, no matter what terrible crimes they've committed, do we have room for one more? Because, because the religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, they did not. They had decided who was in, who was out, who was worthy, who was unworthy. They had built their walls, and of course they were in, but most everyone was out. So do we. I've been with you long enough that I think I can confidently say that we would agree that, yes, we have room for one more. We would welcome one more at our table here, and and that's good. So maybe what we need to think about is, what are we willing to do to find that one? Who or what are we willing to leave behind to go out and look? How long are we willing to walk and and search in order to find that one? How, How far are we willing to go? 
truthfully, God, if he wanted to, he could march 100 people in through this door next weekend. Couldn't he? If he wanted to, our God is all-powerful. He could walk 100 people down this aisle and put them in our pews so that we could share with them the gospel next weekend. But more often than not, it begins with one. And, and even if it was just one, our God and his angels and the Father in heaven would rejoice in bringing us even one lost person. So, so brothers and sisters, who is that lost person? Is it is it a neighbor who's lost in their grief as they mourn someone they love and, and we have the opportunity to show them the, the light of Christ and that he is always there with them? Is it, is it a co-worker who's lost in the materialism and consumerism of, of America and, and we can remind them of the treasure, the, the infinite treasure they have in Jesus? Is it, is it a son or a daughter or a child who's wandered far off that we can bring back and remind that God is always with them, that he will never leave them or forsake them? Who are the lost among us. And as a church, what are we willing to do to find them? How far are we willing to go? How long are we willing to look? How, how many sacrifices are we willing to make? That's our challenge, but I think the comfort for us is to know that this seeking and this finding, it's all God's work, isn't it? From start to finish, it's, it's our God who does it all. He's the one that saves. It's, it's our God who forgives. And, and you and I, we can't really mess that up. We can't get in the way. When God is determined to find someone, he, he does it. And that should be an amazing comfort to us to know that, that our God in his all-powerfulness and in his might and his love, he seeks and he finds the lost and he relentlessly pursues broken, empty people. That's a comfort to us. We need to remember that. But we also need to remember that but at one time, you were the lost. You were one lost person that God relentlessly pursued. You see, sometimes in the church we talk about the lost as those people beyond the wall right there. That out there is where the tax collectors and the sinners are, those people who didn't show up for church this morning, who were doing God knows what last night, so they couldn't wake up in time for church this morning. And, and out there beyond the walls, that's where the lost people are. Those, those tax collectors, those sinners. But, but in here, we are different. We're special. But brothers and sisters, you are that one lost person. I am that one lost person that Jesus has relentlessly pursued in his love. You were wandering around in your sin, in the darkness of this broken world, and, and God left the 99 to find you because you, one person, mattered to God. You, even for you, one person, God, he found you and he, he put you on his strong and loving shoulders so that he could carry you all the way home to make sure that you would spend an eternity with him. You, one person, God rejoiced over. Together with all the angels in heaven, with the Father, he rejoiced and celebrated you, brothers and sisters, you are that lost, wandering person. But praise be to God, He found you. See, God always has room for one more. In His name, Amen.